Ahoy! It's your b b b b b boy And welcome to episode 28 of the podcast. This is M. Man, we are knocking on the door of 30, man. We at the we are at the end of our 20s. Our brain has stopped developing. We're about to experience a profound physical internal change about how we experience ourselves. Man, the podcast is almost a fully grown adult, man. That's crazy. 28. 28 episodes. Uh, just fucking, just fucking inching along toward 100, folks. Um, thanks for sticking along with us so far and for, um, and for supporting the show. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can wherever you listen to podcasts. But, uh, you know, I normally say Google Play, Stitcher, but dude, do people really use those goddamn services? I would say subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, I think most people listen on Apple Podcasts. Um, so let's do that. Just subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you can, take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. Give it a five-star review. And if you want to go above and beyond, just write a couple sentences about what you like about the show. Um, on, on our last episode, I read probably the most recent five-star review that we had that was very, uh, very flattering and very accurate also. So... It just goes to show that a lot of the people who like this podcast are pretty goddamn smart. So if you have a couple nice things you want to say about the show, go ahead and put those up. Um, I imagine it has to convince some people who are waffling about whether or not they even want to give this thing a listen. So uh, go ahead and do that. If you want to connect with our socials, you can on Instagram and Twitter at ThisIsMPod. And what else? I always feel like I forget something. Share it with a friend. Think of one person in your life who you think would like this show, and just send them your favorite episode. Oh, man. Well, we're deep into week two of quarantine. Um, I spoke with my buddy Matt, our MVP from 2019, yesterday on the phone for like an hour. Um, he he and I hadn't chatted. He's living up in the Portland area. He and I have probably only chatted. This is probably our second conversation. Actually, maybe our first conversation on the phone since the shelter-in-place order um, was issued here in the Bay Area. And I remember I did, I probably waited, I think the day before the effect went into place, I finally did some grocery shopping, even though I was already hearing stories about <clears throat> grocery stores running out of toilet paper. I don't know if I was in denial, but I was like, eh, I'm going to wait a couple of days. And then finally on a Monday morning, I went to the grocery store and it was fucking bananas. And uh, I think that was probably the height of everyone's panic at the time. And I remember I got home and I texted my buddy Matt and I just said, hey man, how you doing? And I think his wife was homesick, not with coronavirus, thankfully, but with something else. And I said, dude, get out there now. If you haven't done grocery shopping, go now. And I think he was out the door 10 minutes later, but um, we finally spoke on the phone. And why am I bringing this up? Oh, <laughs> we, I mean, we were talking about books and shit. We were talking about David Foster Wallace and we were talking about a lot of stuff, but um. But uh, he was saying, I don't know, we came up with the phrase, or he came up with the phrase, Quentin Quarantino. And I was like, dude, that's pretty goddamn smart. No wonder you're the MVP of 2019, Matt. Quentin Quarantino. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't have the time, but somebody who has a lot of time on their hands recently could probably come up with a pretty killer YouTube video that somehow weaves in Quentin Tarantino movies to... Uh, um, to the coronavirus and calls it uh, Quentin Quarantino, a, a Quentin Quarantino film. I don't this. I don't know what I have to say about this, but some there's this one person I'm friends with on Facebook who I, I actually don't like. This person, 
I've only met them socially twice, and both times they were a fucking asshole, man. But they're like a, a local person in the artist community, and they were posting about how great Spike Lee is over people like David Fincher and uh, Christopher Nolan. And he thought that Spike Lee was just vastly underrated. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like Spike Lee's films are pretty good, but they have glaring problems, each and every single one of them. Like, he was holding up He Got Game as, like, the epitome of um, Spike Lee's brilliance. And I was like, dude, the fucking whole Mila Jovovich, Hooker with a Heart of Gold plotline between Denzel Washington and her is a fucking abomination in that movie. He Got Game is a phenomenal movie. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. But there's a whole fucking part of it that's, like, confusingly bad and kind of shoehorned in there that should have been cut out completely. It's fucking crazy. Um... Speaking of Christopher Nolan, though, have you guys, maybe you have, but have you seen all the fucking Batman movies recently? I literally rewatched The Dark Knight Rises the other day, and I was like, like, Dark Knight with um, with uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is okay, but it's not a great movie. Like, Batman Begins is pretty lame. The Dark Knight is, you know, fairly good for what it is, which is a comic book movie. Heath Ledger is pretty good, I guess. But also, like, the whole Two-Face villain feels completely shoehorned in there also. And ultimately, it's a fucking comic book movie. Do you know what I mean? And you watch fucking Dark Knight Rises with uh, What's-His-Butt as Bane. The fucking voices are, like, ridiculous. The whole movie, Christian Bale's talking like this. And the Bane character's talking like this. And it's like, the writing is weird, and there's so much going on. It's kind of hard to follow the plot, frankly. There's so many goddamn characters, and you're like, I don't know. All those Batman movies feel bloated, and like I think Christopher Nolan did the best. I mean, I mean, as I mean, they're they're still probably the best comic book movies ever made, except um, well, let me finish my thought first. But they're probably the best comic book movies ever made. But they're still fucking comic book movies. Like they're not that great. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I was gonna say probably the best comic book movie ever made, though, that I thought was genuinely a great movie was Watchmen. I mean, I I think I started watching that with absolutely no expectations, and I really enjoyed that. I've seen, I think I've seen that movie a few times, and that to me is is probably the best example of of a comic book or graphic novel movie that's probably both a great movie genuinely and also happens to be a fucking comic book or whatever. So there you go. I don't know what you're going to do with that information. I'm not even sure where that came up necessarily, but um. Yeah, dude. Are you guys like me? I've watched so many freaking movies and television shows. Um, I've been telling everybody I talk to that for the last two weeks, just sheltering in place. It's like I can't even focus on anything for more than 30 to 45 minutes. So I think the only thing I've been able to do consistently is like practice drumming. You know, I can do that relatively easily and I'll usually have like a movie or something playing in the background. But yeah, dude, I've had just so much content I burned through. I think the movie I saw most recently that I really enjoyed, and I highly suggest you check it out, was Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf movie. And, you know, I kind of didn't want to like it. I mean, I know a lot of people liked it, and I think just because I'm a a contrarian, when a lot of people like something, I don't want to like it. And I have to admit, when you watch it, you know, Shia LaBeouf has had, I don't know, he's been demonized, lionized, I don't know. He's been, um, he kind of is coming out of, uh, I guess Joaquin Phoenix had a similar thing, right, when he was doing that documentary, 
or that fake documentary with Casey Affleck. Um, is it I'm Not Here or something like that? Where he was all disheveled and had a beard and people thought he was losing his mind and was strung out on drugs and maybe he was for a while. I don't know. But he was, he, you know, his, he, his character, he, <clears throat> his PR character took a big hit around that time. Shia LaBeouf was kind of doing the same thing where he was getting drunk in public and fighting people and doing these weird performance art pieces and, and just, he was walking around with a bag on his head that said, I'm not famous anymore or whatever. And people were like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? So all of a sudden he comes out with this movie, Honey Boy, which is a biographical movie about his relationship with his father. And it's hard not to see the movie as something of like a public apology slash plea for sympathy, you know, a sort of a comeback kind of thing. And, And maybe it is those things. But it's also, you know, his portrayal of his dad is not only one of the best performances by an actor I, I can like think of in a recent movie, it's also very poignant and comp- complex. And he both plays his dad as like a monster, but also he plays him sympathetically. You know, he's also, he also shows him as a human being. And also the, the young actor they get to play, you know, the, I think, I think the character's name is Otis or some uh, Oscar. I can't quite remember, but Essentially, it's a young Shia LaBeouf. is fucking incredible, too. And it's just a very kind of simple, kind of a portrait of a movie that just, I don't know, it's powerful, it's poignant, it's complex. Um, and it's just, it's I don't know, it was really moving. I didn't really go into it with any expectations, but it was really, really good. So if you're looking for some good content to watch... Um, while you're quarantined, I would recommend, I would recommend Honey Boy. Um, I also watched, I guess, well, I'm hesitating because I don't know whether, whether they call him Park Chan, what is it? Park Chan Wook or Wook or, or Chan Wook Park. The guy who did Old Boy, <clears throat> Um, I was looking for something else on Amazon Prime and it recommended his most recent movie to me, which I, I guess was an Amazon original. I guess they, I don't know, produced it or whatever the fuck. But it's called The Handmaiden. And like all Korean films, that's like two and a half hours long. Um, but it was really good. And if you've seen Old Boy um, or any of his other movies, <clears throat> you know, there's some... It, there's a, I don't know, there's a strange sort of always a sort of sexual element to his movies. Like for me, if there's three movies you have to see, it's probably Old Boy, Thirst, and The Handmaiden. Um, those are kind of three movies that, I don't know, they seem sort of similar to me. And each of them not only has like a sort of a gruesome, grisly element to them, but they also have a sort of strange sexual element to them. And it's kind of hard to tell, and I don't think this is necessarily inspired by the Me Too movement, but you do get this sense sometimes, the sexual component is, I don't know, somehow linked with the director. It's sort of an extension of their own sexual life or something. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but you kind of get a sense sometimes with these hyper-sexualized movies that the director's kind of getting off on it a little bit, which is kind of strange. Um, and I don't know, you want to separate, I don't know, art versus 
assuming too much about the creative person, but there's something about a tourist directors like uh, Chanwick Park where, I don't know, there's just something about the filmmaker that just seems deeply embedded in the material. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, when you see, I don't know, they all have this sort of hyper-sexualized element and... Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. But The Handmaiden, his most recent film, is very, very good. Um, it was one of those movies that I started watching late at night, and I was like, oh, I'll just start this as I go to bed and probably pick it up tomorrow. And I ended up watching the whole thing till like, 3 in the morning. But um, it tells the same story three different ways. It's sort of a Rashomon. I hadn't really thought about this, but I guess it is kind of a Rashomon-type movie where... Um, you know, it's in three parts. The first part sort of plays out to its, quote, conclusion. And then it shows you the same story from a different perspective. And then again, from a third. So it has all these sort of revealed layers to it. And uh, it's very good. So highly recommend that one also. Um, don't watch it with your kids. It might even be uncomfortable watching with your partner because there is so much sexual content. But, um, but um, yeah, check it out. Also, rewatch Old Boy if you haven't seen that before. Um, what did I really want to get to, though? Oh, the movie that everybody was fucking, you know, it's so fucking typical. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, got, I hate it when, I love when I'm surprised by a movie. Like, I kind of started watching Honey Boy with my arms folded. You know, everyone liked it. I expected it to be bad. I fucking love, I thought it was great. And I loved that. I, I, you know, when I sit down to watch something, of course I want to like it. You know, there's nothing I like more than stumbling on something and being like, oh man, this is what I've been looking for. But I was seeing trailers for the invisible man and I went, oh, this looks fucking awful. Like this movie's going to be a fucking failure. You know what I mean? Like the trailers, were. sometimes you see a trailer for a movie and you go, who thought this was a good idea? Why did this get fucking made? And there was such a huge campaign for it, like a PR campaign. I saw advertisements for it everywhere, all over the internet. I was like, damn, they either know they have a stinker or... Because you know sometimes they feel like they're they're literally shoving a movie down your throat because they're like, I don't know, if they advertise it enough, maybe enough people will just sort of fucking check it out. But all the trailers I saw was like, oh, this looks god-awful. Like, I, I rarely have I wanted to see a movie less than The Invisible Man. And then the reviews came out. You know, I was seeing it on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was like a 94% or something like that. And it was like people were talking about how it's so good, and it's genuinely scary, and it's topical, and it's all these things. So I was like, fuck, oh, wow, I'm definitely not going to a fucking movie theater, right? But I was like, oh, I guess, I don't know, the reviews were good enough that I was convinced to check it out. And so you can literally rent it or buy a ticket to see it on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Dude, save your fucking money, dude. It is every bit as bad as the trailers make it look, make it out to be. Like, Elizabeth Moss, who's actually also a co-star in one of my favorite movies the last few years, The Square, is, is, you know, as good as you can be in this movie. It's like, a you know, they call, this is what a reviewer would call like a dedicated performance. Like, she's swinging for the fucking fences. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's doing the best she can. But it's this sort of, I don't know, kind of tired Me Too type allegory, or not even an allegory is not even the right word for it, but it's a very, you know, her, she's escaping an abusive husband, and of course, like, there's this whole allusion or whatever to the fact that he's an invisible man, like, 
you know, I don't fucking know. Like, you know, the, she's not believed. She's seen as a crazy woman because she's saying that she's being haunted by her dead abusive husband. And it's like, it's just so fucking not, I don't know. It's just not compelling at all. And it's boring and it's over long. And all the actors, like, I don't know. It, it, it's almost like a fucking, it's like a high budget lifetime movie of the week or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So I can't recommend it. And it was just one of those things that as I'm watching this, I was so fucking upset because I was like, I fucking knew it, man. I saw the trailers. I knew it was going to be a piece of garbage. And then fucking I saw the fucking reviews, which again, I know I've railed about this on other episodes, but reviewers don't know what the fuck they're talking about, especially professional reviewers. Like we're living in this time period where if it seems topical or progressive or whatever the fuck, everybody gushes over it. And it's a, they're, it, it, the movie's fucking awful. You know, I was talking about this with Moonlight. Moonlight's much better than The Invisible Man, no doubt, but it's not a fucking great movie. But everyone pretends like it's the best film released in the last decade because of the because of the subject matter. It, like people, it makes people feel good that they like it. The Invisible Man is not good. It's a shitty horror movie. <clears throat> and there are good horror movies. I'm trying to think of a recent one. Dude, I just saw the second season of Kingdom on Netflix. Um. Dude, Train to Busan, the Korean zombie film. I'm sure I've talked about both in the past, but, you know, the zombie genre should be fucking well-worn. Like, we should be fucking exhausted, but actually, some people still do well with it. The series Black Summer on uh, Netflix was, um, the first season of that was really good. And the cool thing about that show, too, also, there's one episode, I forget what it's called, but it's, the entirety of it is just a guy being chased by a zombie, you know, and they, what they do with that is so fucking tense. Do you know what I mean? And I thought it was so, what was so cool about Black Summer is it was exactly what an episodic show should be now. You know, when you watch a show like Friends, they have the ABC story arcs and it's like, it's like a total sitcom and they have these stock characters that they have to do something with. But now in the age of, you know, internet TV, you know, Black Summer did not have a consistent episode length. Some episodes are 20 minutes, some are 40 minutes, some are an hour. And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? You know, you can literally do whatever you want. You just release the whole season. Why do the episodes have to be the same same length? I mean, you could make arguments for why from like a production standpoint or, I don't know, consistency or something. But you can, But you can do whatever you want, so why not do that? And I think Black Summer was the first show I saw that really did that. You know, uh, every episode kind of feels kind of different, even though it sort of orbits the same universe. You know what I mean? But yeah, Black Summer is a zombie episodic show that should be, we should be tired of, but seems to do, they seem to do a good job of it. And uh, Kingdom is the same way. I really enjoyed the first season. Um, Season two was eh, pretty good. As brief as it is, it's like six episodes. It still is kind of still kind of feels over long for a season of uh, of television. It seems like it could have been like four, or maybe even three episodes, but um, but pretty good. Um, yeah, but Training Busan. It's like one of the best. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite movies of the last few years, anyway, or, or that I've seen in the last few years. I'm not quite sure when it came out. It may have come out like in 2016, honestly. But um, of the movies I've seen in the last few years, it's probably one of my favorites. And uh, it's also a zombie movie, but very good. Dude, I fucking, dude, I cried at the end of Train to Busan. 
I like teared up and cried when I watched it by myself. And then literally the next day I told my girlfriend who fucking hates zombie movies. I said, dude, we have to watch this movie. And she hates that kind of shit. And she, I think she enjoyed it somewhat as well. And I still kind of got fucking choked up as I was watching it with her. Although one of my favorite movies that we saw in theaters recently was Uncut Gems. And she fucking hated that movie. So, I mean, I knew she didn't like it, but for some reason, I'm, I know it came up in conversation recently. And she was like, oh, you know what movie sucked? And I was like, what? She's like, Uncut Gems. And I was like, oh, man, I really liked it. I also liked Good Time. They're, uh, the, are they the Sadis, the Sadif brothers? I forget. But the filmmakers who did Uncut Gems did a movie called Good Time with Robert Pattinson, who I normally fucking hate. Well, actually, you know what? <laughs> you know why I said that? I said it because he was in Twilight. You know, it's like, really, I don't, I don't know anything about the guy. But I feel like all of his uh, acting choices have been sort of anti-Twilight, you know, trying to break out of that box, which is completely fucking fair. But uh, The Lighthouse was not a good movie, and uh, so I think I was kind of holding it against him. But um, in good time, he's really good. <sighs> I'm trying to think, man, what else have I seen? You know what I'm doing? I'm trying to talk about anything but the coronavirus. I'm trying to talk around it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't know what else. You know, I, I wish I had a hot take on it, but I got, I got nothing new to say. I mean, I had therapy over the phone on Tuesday, and of course I spent the first 15, 20 minutes talking about coronavirus, and then I felt like I had no other material for the rest of the hour. I ended up talking about this. So me and my girlfriend, like, we watch... Usually when we go to bed, we'll start watching something on Netflix, and no matter what it is, my girlfriend falls asleep, and I end up watching it for about an hour before I, I turn it off and go to sleep myself, but we started watching this show on Netflix. It's called Love is Blind, and it's not like Tiger King or whatever the fuck, where literally everybody in the fucking country seems to be watching it, but I mentioned it to a couple people who said they had heard about it, so you might be aware of it as well, but it's this sort of reality dating show called Love is Blind. There's one season of, an up, of it up on now on Netflix. And the premise is pretty straightforward. It's they have, you know, I don't know if it's 12 guys, 12 girls, or six guys, six girls, or whatever the fuck, but there's basically a set number of guys and girls, and they're put in this sort of dating situation where they have to enter these pods, and they're able to talk to the other person, but they're not able to see them. So they're sort of separated in these sort of isolated rooms and they quote date but they never see each other they just sort of have conversations and talk about their lives or whatever and the idea is by a set i don't know if it's a week or by a set number of time they have to decide if they want to marry someone so the you know by the end of it you have x number of quote couples who are engaged to be married you know so you literally have people who've never seen each other because they've spent this time together and have had these conversations they fall in love and they they get engaged without ever having seen each other. So the rest of the show is they show the reveal where they finally... Sorry, man. Fuck. <sighs> man, I'm yawning more on this episode than I have in the past. Um, maybe I'm just boring myself. But uh, you have these couples see each other for the first time and uh, then they have to start spending time together and decide... You know, the conceit of the show or the way they sort of frame it on the show is, is love blind? Like here you're set up in these isolated pods and you, quote, fall in love with the other person based on their character alone, right? Their personality. You're not distracted by the way they look or 
their lifestyle or the way they dress or whatever. So, you you know, they're saying that you fall in love with the person with a capital P, you know, as if like you, you, you know, this is the way that you get to see who someone really is and the rest of reality in life is just a distraction. So now that you've seen the person, are you going to let it affect your feelings for them? Are you going to allow allow spending time with them to uh, undermine what you have already established with this person? So the intrigue of the show is seeing these people who were engaged begin to spend time with each other and see how they handle it. And, uh, you know, it's not the type of thing I would normally go for. And it is, you know, it is a reality show. There's really kind of no way around it. But it actually is a good jumping off point for conversation. I, I recommend you watch it with your partner if you have one and give each other permission to like, uh, you know, provide running commentary over it. Because me and my girlfriend talked a lot over that show. And it was just an interesting way to explore and really think about, you know, what does marriage mean to you? And what does it mean to build, what does it mean to build a life with somebody? And what should the foundation of a lifelong relationship be built upon? Do you know what I mean? Because the conceit of the show was like, are you going to let, like, they were sort of holding up this ideal of like, you know, when you, you fell in love with this person in the pods, as they're calling it, before you ever saw them. Are you going to allow, you know, the real world to undermine the quality of your connection? And it was sort of an interesting question, because if you're asking me, of course I will. You know what I mean? I mean, I know, you know, there's something to connecting with someone over the, you know, just by voice alone. But that's not what it means to build a life with somebody. You know, once you start spending time with someone, you realize, oh, they're kind of annoying. Or, you know, one of the characters has like X number, they're in debt. You know, so marrying someone is, you know, I don't want to say it's cold and calculated, like forming a business or something, but it's something between the two. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you're like me as you get older. And I think this sounds unromantic to younger people, but... You know, when you meet someone and there might be instant fireworks, you know, when you're younger, you think that's love or that is a sign or that's, you know, you're supposed to be with this person. But I think as you grow older, you realize that that's actually a warning sign. You know, it may mean that there's passion there and that's not nothing. If you're dating, you can date for passion. You know, if you're looking for someone to have sex with, you can have sex. You know, passion is enough. Do you know what I mean? But if you're looking to get married, if you're looking to build a life with somebody, that's not really marriage material, you know, and the type of people that you date, it should be different than the type of person that you marry. Um, the rela- the relationship just has to be, not only, not only does it have to be different, it has to be built on something different also. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just fascinating to see people sort of wrestle with their thoughts and their experiences, getting to know this person that they're they're already engaged with. There's already this commitment, so to speak, and to sort of watch the look in their eyes as they sort of navigate this situation together. And there's just such a performative aspect to it. Do you know what I mean? And you feel some people sort of swept up in the momentum of the television show. You know, they've already made this commitment or this engagement to this person. And even though they're feeling reality creep in, 
you see some people holding on with both hands, like trying not trying to not let it affect their relationship because they don't want to lose. You know, they don't want it to fail. They want to make it work, you know, with a capital W. They've sort of bought into the conceit of the show, which is, you know, if, if they are able to marry this person, they've succeeded somehow. You know, that love is blind or whatever the fuck the cliche is. So it's hard. You know, you have one person who, oftentimes you have one person who's trying to make the relationship work and the other person who's really trying to absorb what their experience is actually like and let, let their experience change their feelings but it's, yeah, it's hard, you know? And so, uh, no, no spoiler alert, but basically the idea of the show is eventually, by the last episode, there will be a wedding that takes place, and you can decide, basically at the altar, if you're going to marry this person or not. And, uh, you know, some people say yes, some people say no, and, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you... Yeah, someone gets hurt, but you also want to give it up to the people who eventually say no. You know, it, it can be painful in the moment, but it can actually be the best thing for both, pe- both people, you know, to, uh, yeah, I don't know, let the experience shape you and change you, you know? Like, I was thinking of this, there's this movie, Mike Birbigley is a stand-up comedian, and he did this movie... I think it was based on some material he did on stage for a long time, but the, the movie's called Sleepwalk With Me. And I forget the actress's name, but you'll know you'll know her when you see her. She's a familiar face. But he has sort of been dating this girl for like a decade or something like that, and they're on the cusp of being engaged or something. And at some point he calls off their engagement. And it's it's a difficult time for both of them. But at the end of the film, they sort of check in with each other again at, an, at another point. And they say something like, can you believe that we almost got married? And he was like, yeah, why didn't, why didn't you break up with me sooner? And I think they both say, well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. You know? And they were both sort of incredulous thinking, can you imagine we almost got married because we didn't want to hurt each other's feelings? <clears throat> I think a lot of people live that way. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you, you know that things may not be perfect in your life, but you're kind of comfortable and it's easier to, it's, at least it's the devil you know. It's easier to just sort of go through the motions and be polite and nice than to ever risk standing up and addressing the reality of the situation. You know, something that you're both navigating quietly and are both fully aware, but you're just not addressing. You know what I mean? Even to the point of marriage. <clears throat> You know, they say over half of marriages end in divorce. I wonder if that's the reason. Like, I think when people get divorced... Well, I have two thoughts. I was going to say, I think when most most people get divorced, it's probably over reasons they were already fully aware of before they even got married. But also, who knows? Sometimes in retrospect, it's always easy to point to the reasons why things didn't work out. But, um, but uh, for some reason, I'm also thinking of the movie Jerry Maguire. Do you remember that? Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger, they're sort of co-workers, and Tom Cruise gets fired as a sport agent from his agency, and so he starts his own business, and Renee Zellweger comes with him, and they they start to have a relationship, and then they get married, and Tom Cruise, after their marriage, is just sort of like using his work as an excuse to stay apart from her, and uh, I think there's a line where she says, you know, we should end this now, 
or he's about to go on a trip and she says, let's call this business trip what it really is, which is just an excuse to, to get away or something like uh, just an excuse to get a break from each other. Um, you know, maybe we should be honest with each other and, and, you know, cut this thing off or have this marriage annulled before we just spend the next, the rest of our lives just being polite to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That feels connected somehow. Yeah, I don't know. I think I got into all this because I was saying I ran out of fucking coronavirus conversation, so I ended up talking about this television show, Love is Blind in Therapy, for like 20 minutes. But like I said, I was talking to my buddy Matt, and this came up. I was sort of telling him about this, sure, whatever. And we were talking about that in the context of therapy. Do you know what I mean? I was saying, you know, therapy is like any relationship, and sometimes for it to work, you have to have difficult conversations. You know, like some people go to therapy... And they just sort of, um, and I think at first it's probably for good reason, but they sort of surrender to the apparent expertise of their therapist. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and uh, they just assume that that person knows best, you know, especially if you're a people-pleasing type person. Um, and uh, sometimes you can kind of think like, I don't know if this therapist is the right person for me, or sometimes they do something that annoys me, or sometimes I feel like I'm misunderstood by them, but you just kind of let it go because it's easier to just sort of go in there and talk and kind of be a passenger in the process than sort of address something that's bothering you. And, uh, if it sounds like I know a lot about that, it's cause I think I do, you know, I think I'm just that type of person in my life in general. You know, I, I sort of underestimate, 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 underestimate my ability to correctly evaluate the situation and sort, and sort of, um, I don't know, defer to other people's confidence or whatever the fuck it is. But um, I was telling my friend Matt about one time in therapy where I really had to, it took me a while to get around to it, but I eventually had to <laughs> to bring it up. And um, I, I always hate talking about this because I feel like people sound like a fucking, like I sound like an alt-right type person. But, um, you know, I, um, I consider myself a, a socially liberal. I consider myself progressive, uh, for the most part, and uh, and yet there's something about the way a lot of the social justice movement has sort of played out that bothers me in the way it's presented. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to call it um, cancel culture or this sort of call out, whatever the fuck it is, but um, it sort of bothers me. And I was, uh, you know, I even prefaced it in therapy by saying, this is not really comfortable for me to talk about, but it's something I really feel like I want to explore. And I was talking about my feelings about um, just the state of the the social climate, you know. And uh, I don't want to I don't want to get into too many specifics, but I was just talking about my thoughts and feelings around identity politics. And um, for some reason, things like um, I can't remember her name. Um, I don't know. There was a, there's a very prominent transgender female in the public eye who I was talking about them. Um, I was talking about um, an interview I had seen with Jordan Peterson and somebody where I thought, you know, I don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson says, but I think in general, he's a pretty thoughtful, intelligent person. Um, I found what I found a lot of what he says to be pretty engaging, but because I know there's such a backlash against them. And I know so many, you know, I hear so many, progressive left people talk about him as if he's, he's the fucking antichrist that it makes me think like, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? I, I hear him speak and I think he's 
pretty intelligent. I think he's pretty articulate. And when I hear people debate him, they don't seem to have a lot of good responses. Do you know what I mean? He seems to uh, mow people down pretty well. And it's not like a Ben... Like, I think Ben Shapiro is a person who's very intelligent, but I also don't really agree with the content of what he's saying. I just sort of see him as a good debater um, for the most part. But when I see Jordan Peterson, I also feel kind of like how I felt when I was like kind of into my whole atheist skeptic phase and I would hear Christopher Hitchens debate religious people. Like, Christopher Hitchens seemed to have his fucking cards pretty much in a row and religious people looked pretty silly compared to him. I, I see that a lot with Jordan Peterson. I feel like people step up to debate him and they just aren't, either they're not well prepared or th- what they're saying doesn't seem to make a lot of fucking sense. So anyway, I was trying to talk through these feelings in therapy and and try to get my therapist's perspective. And I remember as we were finishing our session one time, we were just sort of wrapping up, and I, I sometimes I do this if I'm sort of talking up against the clock and I know I have to finish up, but I was trying to summarizing very quickly and saying, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know what all this means, but I just want to, uh, I don't know, it's uncomfortable for me, but I feel like this is something I want to keep talking about in therapy. And my therapist, just as a quick like reflection, was saying something like, yeah, I, I'm not sure what, what, you know, I'm not sure what this, or why this means so much to you, or, or why these, you know, statements, um, you know, they bring up such strong emotions in you. I'm not sure if it's because, you know, are you, you know, maybe you're trying to communicate something to me, maybe you're questioning your own gender identity. <laughs> and then I didn't really hear what she said after that. But that reflection, which felt so fucking wrong to me, sat with me for a long time. And on the one hand, I was fully aware of it. I mean, I remember her saying it. I remember me thinking about it when I left. I remember me thinking and feeling very clearly, wow, I feel really misunderstood. You know, the fact that I could have spent, you know, I've I've been with the same therapist for like maybe almost 10 years now. Uh, Eight or nine years, 10 years, I don't fucking know. But to think, man, I could be sitting across from someone sort of spilling my guts for this long and they would even think that I could be questioning my gender identity, it made me feel like, you know, a lot of times you go to therapy and you feel like you're trying to get at the root of what's wrong with you. And I've talked about this in other episodes where I talk about a lot of my operating, you know, maybe not fully consciously or explicitly. It's like, I've just gone through my life feeling like something's wrong with me. And my therapist saying this didn't make me question my own gender identity, but it it did validate the sense of, oh, something is, quote, wrong with me. And I don't mean there's anything wrong with um, questioning your gender identity as much as that sometimes things need to be sorted out or understood before you'll be, quote, fixed. Do you know what I mean? And it validated the sense that, oh, well, something heretofore unnamed or unknown still needs to be worked through before I'll feel good about myself. Do you know what I mean? And it was as if my therapist was sitting across me going, oh, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we need to work through. Maybe it's maybe at the root of all this angst and, you know, ennui or or whatever the fuck it is. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe my patient's questioning their gender identity. And I think what I'm trying to say is I was both fully conscious that that bothered me, but I also... I was, I don't know, it just sort of affected our sessions for like the next two months because I never brought it up again, you know? I mean, I still think I talked through my feelings around that, that topic and some sort of social justice stuff or whatever, but I never addressed that reflection. And I don't remember how we got to it again, but there, I do remember very consciously there was a moment in one of our sessions where 
we came up against something and it was something about maybe how I'd been feeling. I felt like maybe I was a little more depressed over the last couple months or I felt like therapy was less effective or something. And I don't know if my therapist had been thinking about this. I don't know what the fuck it was, but I finally had a moment where I said, you know what? Actually, there was, you know, there was something that happened a couple weeks or months ago. I can't remember now, but it was like, yeah, there was something that happened recently that, um, yeah, I think it is kind of sitting with me. And it was when you, you know, we were talking about these things and you reflected that, you know, it might be possible that I was questioning my own um, gender identity. And that felt, yeah, that really bothered me. You know, and we sort of were able to talk through it. But, um, yeah, and I think my therapist just acknowledged, well, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you're off, you know? I mean, I experienced this on the crisis lines, too. Sometimes you reflect back to somebody what you think you're hearing them say very clearly, and they tell you that you're completely off the fucking mark, and you go, oh, shit. So it's good to get that feedback, but... um but, uh, yeah, why is, yeah, how does this relate to love is blind and relationships and stuff? I don't know. Maybe this idea that you can both be fully aware of a problem or the presence of some impediment to the quality of the relationship that's in the room and still not address it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm talking, you know, I was mentioning this sort of Mike Birbiglia sleepwalk, of, sleepwalk with me. These two people are on the cusp of their marriage and. They both, on some level, are fully aware that they don't want to get married. You know, and it's not that they hate the person or that their relationship would be overtly dysfunctional. You know, it's not like my, it's not like, uh, you know, the other person's a, a, a drug addict or the other person beats me and this would be a fucking chaotic relationship. It'd probably be a fairly functional relationship for all intents and purposes, but they know that it wouldn't make them happy. And yet they still go through with it. What is it that's so hard about naming the thing in the room? And I think, I think the reason this is important is because when you actually get around to talking about it, even something as, I don't know, maybe you're laughing when you hear this story about my, my therapist uh, thinking I might be questioning my gender identity. But when you actually talk about it, you realize, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, this may sound crazy to you, but you know, one thing that comes up for me every year that makes me highly anxious is taxes. You know, I know, all right, it sounds like I'm jumping around, but <clears throat> this will be a better example for you to understand. Coronavirus. Of course it had to come up. If you're like me, you go out and you see people fucking out and about. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm not just talking like doing their weekly grocery shopping or like I drive between here and my girlfriend's house. That feels perfectly fucking fine to me. I'll go to the grocery store once a week. I'm able to work remotely from home, but yeah, I'm going to drive between me and my girlfriend's place. That's fucking fine. Although it is funny to see the people in their cars who are, they still wear the full gloves and face mask. And it's like, dude, you're in your car. (laughs) You know, it's not an airborne contagion. You know, you're going to be okay. Relax. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I see people out and about. Like, my girlfriend lives on this fucking street that's full of restaurants. And, and I, we've looked into it. I guess from everything we've read, it looks like takeout is relatively safe. But I'll see a dozen motherfuckers standing next to the cash register waiting for, their, waiting for their takeout orders. And I'm like, dude, it's not safe then. You know? I'm sure it's fine if the guy in the back makes my food and they hand it to me in a plastic bag and they meet me outside and give it to me. I, I'm sure that's relatively safe. But if you got a dozen motherfuckers waiting in the lobby of the restaurant by the cash register, dude, that's not safe. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
So yeah, so people are out and about. But here's my thing. If one of them, or, you know, I was even talking to my therapist, like, they'll see people like playing basketball or hear about kids playing basketball together and stuff or whatever the fuck it is. If you get coronavirus and they say, oh my God, oh dear God, we need to, we need to, we need to uh, trace where you've been for the last two weeks. Do you really want people to see where you've been? How stupid are you going to feel if you're like, well, I went to this one restaurant or, you know, I fucking went to the grocery store 10 times or uh, I went to a concert or I went to the movie theater. Like, you're going to feel pretty goddamn stupid, right? And I, that's how I, I let that dictate a lot of my choices in life. I live my life as if at someday there's going to be a great reckoning where the, the book will be opened and everything I've ever done, every dollar I've ever spent needed, needs to be accounted for. Every deed I've ever done needs to be accounted for. Everything I've ever said needs to be accounted for. And, you know, if you're wired like me, you can experience it that, like that's a good thing. But that's not. That's a fucking horrible way to live. One, because it's not realistic, but also it doesn't fucking matter. Nobody's perfect. Do you know what I mean? But there's something about... All right, I'm trying to equate this idea of like, you know, coronavirus will be the inciting incident that someone will have to evaluate how you've spent your time over the last X number of weeks and judge you. Do you know what I'm saying? And then you have to bear the weight of responsibility for the choices that you've made. That's how I live my life. You know, and for some reason, t- every tax season, I'm scared I'm going to bring my tax documents into my CPA. And they're going to go, oh, my God. Oh, dear God, what have you done? You know, and it's like my financial life will be fucking exposed for a fraud. You know, I think everyone's insecure about their finances and they're worried they don't know what they're doing or they're worried they don't know enough. And I'm just worried that my financial life will fucking collapse and that I'll it will be because of some grave mistake I made. Do you know what I mean? And there's, there's just a vulnerability of like exposing your financial life to your CPA and feeling like they're going to go, Oh dear God. Oh dear God. What a catastrophe. So, um, yeah. What does this have to do? (laughs) What the fuck does this have to do with, uh, love is blind. Fucking Jerry Maguire, coronavirus taxes not being able to name something in the room. Yeah, dude, wow. I have no fucking idea how we ended here. (laughs) I mean, I kind of know what we were talking about, but I have no idea how we fucking ended in this fucking cul-de-sac where I seem to be stuck. Yeah, I don't know. I was talking about the difficulty of naming something in the room that... Maybe you are already on some level fully aware is an impediment to your happiness and your relationships and what the fuck? Yeah, dude. I don't know. Jesus Christ. Man. I gotta be honest with you, though. We're already like three quarters of the way through this podcast and uh, it's been like full steam ahead. Maybe I'm paying for it now. <clears throat> it was fucking pedaled to the metal out the fucking gate, and now I'm sort of like screeching to a halt, just going, Ugh, what's going on? I don't know, man. We talked about movies. We talked about taxes. Man, I don't really know what else to talk about. Yeah, I've been drumming a lot. I actually went on Amazon and got some, uh, I got some, you know, I'm working through this jazz book, and literally what I'll do, and I'm, I don't know. I fucking articulated this to my brother and he's like, I know, man, I listen to the goddamn podcast. So you're probably hearing this for the 10th time, but like I have this practice pad that I tilt like a symbol and I just play the snare drum 
on my knee, but I, you know, there's a symbol company called Zosian that makes these like low volume symbols. And I was like, if I got one of those symbols, you know, and maybe like a kick drum, like a bass drum pedal and like a practice pad for the bass drum. I'm basically, I'm moving through this book and I've sort of reached the wall of my technique where it's like, I'd like to go faster, but I can't really do the, I can't build the right technique. I'm just pretending like I have a bass drum pedal and a hi-hat, you know, I'm just mimicking the motions and you don't have the, I don't know the word for it, but you, we, without a, an actual bass drum pedal or a hi-hat stand or even the, the, you know, a cymbal or a drum, you just can't, you can only do so much, you know, your knee doesn't have the same rebound as uh, a drum head and the practice pad doesn't have the same swing in physics of a cymbal. Do you know what I mean? So at least for now, I've kind of done as much as I can. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking kind of treat myself. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to buy the, this, it's like an $80 quiet cymbal or something like that and a bass drum pedal. And I'm going to see what that does for me. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, I splurged. I gave myself a gift and I let myself spend about $100 <clears throat> on a silent symbol and a fucking bass drum pedal so I can try to get more accurate physics or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, dude, I hope you guys have a hobby. I hope you picked up something recently that you can sort of work through. I mean, I don't know. They're talking about this This shelter in place is supposed to be lifted on April 7th or something. Yeah, fat fucking chance. I think this is going to go to the next, at least until next fall. You know, I feel like if everyone were to leave their houses now, there'd be a fucking spike in the infection rate. You know what I mean? But yeah, scary times, dude. Dude, the truth is I have to pee like a goddamn resource right now, but I don't want to pause. But maybe that'll actually give me a chance to sort of reset and I'll probably come back with something to talk about. So let me do that. I'm going to take a pee. I'll be right back. Ah, that's better. Um, Actually, as I was peeing, I was thinking I uh, when I was on the phone with my friend Matt, I don't know how it came up. Oh, I, probably because we were talking about books. We were talking about like David Foster Wallace. And I, I think I was probably saying something like, you know, David Foster Wallace is one of the few sort of modern authors that gets a lot of credit, but I also think is fucking incredible. And there's so many other authors. I know I've talked about Pynchon in the past, who I think are just kind of fucking fraudulent. And actually, it's kind of topical because just yesterday I was like looking at Facebook and somebody was, one of my musician friends or something was talking about, they basically asked on Facebook, they're like, should I go on and perform some music or should I read Blood Meridian? Which, if you don't know, is a novel by Cormac McCarthy. And I've never read Blood Meridian, but I've, let, I've read a lot of Cormac McCarthy. And I, I like The Road. I like No Country for Old Men fine, well enough, I guess. But I've also read his Border Trilogy. And if you've spent a lot of time with Cormac McCarthy, it's hard to fucking know if he's really good or if it's just people like his fucking style. But when I was talking to my friend, I was reminded of this fucking thing. I think my brother sent it to me or... Somebody sent it to me, but um, it's on the uh, McSweeney's website. I don't really fucking know what it is. I think it's like a humor website, but um, they have some, um, I guess it's, oh, it's this dude, Justin Tapp. I just pulled it up, but he created this article. It was, you know, as if, if Cormac McCarthy had written the menu at Chili's and I was reading it to my friend Matt and we were fucking laughing about it. And I said, dude, I should read some of this on the podcast. So this may be stupid. I mean, I, you know, I normally just like to talk on the podcast, but let, let me read you some of this. If you know, Cormac McCarthy, you'll get a fucking kick out of this. If you don't, you'll think this is fucking stupid. But this is the Chili's menu by Cormac McCarthy. The Southwestern Egg Rolls, nine ninety five. In a tortilla made by the boy's abuela, he watched her with her arm fat and canvas apron 
Cast frijoles negros upon flux of cilantro, like ash fallen silently on a bed of rice. Tiny bones chalk white against an avocado ranchero sauce, creamy in the light of the coals, like the obsidian-flecked desert where God has forsaken all life. Outside, a pale starving Guyana quickens a lizard to its last writhing grasps. Evening creeps in. A single lobo cries out across the mesa as the sun dips blood red below the thin black spine of the mountain where death will come again many times in the dusty, clockless hours before twilight. Dead. Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> um, let's see what else they got here. Let's try the Cajun chicken pasta, 1495. He was a flat boatman from Louisiana, and all the cocheros said he took pride in how many Mexicans he had killed in the war of Alamangordo, but he was the only one who had a chance of leading them across Comanche territory on the Rio Tequate. He spoke in Creole, cursing the still waters under the moon, on endless steps capturing the light like a field of pitch, swallowing forever into black oblivion. Oblivion. Oh, dude, who gives a fuck? This is stupid. All right, abort mission. Well, folks, we tried. We tried to do something different, and that's what you get. You try to fucking introduce... You know what? I was thinking about this. I was like, dude, when this podcast goes to a video podcast, it's just going to be me speaking into the goddamn thing. You know, like, I watch plenty of video podcasts. I mean, I, I was just thinking about uh, Crystalia because I said Sikormak McCarthy, which is a fucking total Crystalia thing, but it's like... A lot of video podcasters will like share content that they think is interesting. So I literally was like, oh, I'll read this because I think it's interesting. It'll be like other podcasts I listen to where they show you guys videos or link you to other shit that they think is funny. But as I'm doing it now, I'm like, oh, this is lame. Nobody's going to fucking like this. Do you know what I mean? So I think what I'm trying to say is I don't know what we're going to do when this becomes a video podcast. It's just going to be me. It's going to be a talking head. I'm just going to be literally be talking into the camera I don't know. Maybe I'll try to find something interesting around my place to show you. Every week will be like show and tell. Hey, maybe you guys can see my drum practice pads. How cool would that be? Maybe I'll put on little fucking drumming recitals for you. Or maybe even sing songs. Yeah, dude. I actually got a call from my producer, Gowan Matthews, the other day. He was just calling to check in on me. We haven't spoken since... Probably since the new year, honestly. At the end of last year, we finished our, actually our most recent song now. It's called Help Me From There To Here. It's on Spotify. If you want to check it out, just uh, Google my artist name, M, the heir apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R, apparent. My most, my most recent song is called Help Me From There To Here. And uh, we finished that probably in like early December. And uh, probably haven't, haven't spoken since. And... Uh, he was calling one because he just wanted to check in on my health uh, since the whole shelter in place thing. And I had actually just been thinking about him. Um, and he said, uh, yeah, man, I woke up today and I put on your t-shirt and I thought I got to give you a call and check in with you. And I was like, cool. And he was like, oh, and it looks like actually the most recent song we did helped me from there to here. It's doing pretty well on Spotify. And it is. It's got about, uh, it's, it's probably got 200,000 streams right now, which is pretty, excuse me, which is uh, pretty good. Um, yeah, why did that come up? Oh, I don't know. I was talking about maybe playing songs on the video podcast or whatever. But yeah, it's funny. You know, singing and playing guitar feels like the furthest thing from my fucking life right now. 
I don't know. It, 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 I don't know. I, I, I guess I've said this to a few people, but I, I guess I feel bad saying it because I know this is actually a really difficult time for a lot of people right now. But I think one, even though I'm bored and all that sort of shit, I think one thing I keep trying to tell myself is that I'm actually very lucky right now. You know, I'm lucky that I have a job that's deemed an essential service by the county. I can still work remotely. Um, I have my girlfriend and you know, if you had asked me six months ago and I know I've talked about this on the podcast, like I'm not really sure what my life is going to look like. Do you know what I'm saying? Like in general, sort of what I've been struggling with is just feeling kind of directionless. I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to school. I feel the momentum of school moving forward. But I, you know, I'm not working towards something that I'm very passionate about. I'm still waiting for the aha moment so that I know what the next chapter of my life is going to be or what I want to work toward. Do you know what I mean? But I, I also feel lucky now because, you know, at literally this time last year, I did the tour with Matt Nathanson and I had higher hopes for what that would do for me. Um, and it's not like I ever thought that some magic thing was going to happen, but I thought, this is the type of thing that I can show maybe prospective booking agents or managers or something. And they, I don't know, it might give me more leverage. Um, unfortunately it didn't. And, you know, consciously or not, it was, you know, it was the aftermath of that, where I probably decided to go back to school. You know, I thought, damn, if this doesn't really move the needle and I don't really see what anything coming down the pike that, that is even comparable to this, maybe it's time to seriously consider doing something else. And even though that kind of sucks, um, I also feel, considering what's happened recently, I feel very blessed that my life has sort of taken the turns that it did, you know, because a lot of my music friends are completely out of work. You know, if you make all of your money performing live, those opportunities are completely fucking gone. And who knows for fucking how long, you know, people are saying a month, two months, three months, dude, probably longer than that. And if your entire income is performance-based, dude, you're fucked. You know, so I do feel blessed that I'm able to sort of work. I, I, I have a job, you know, and I'm glad that um, from a financial standpoint, I'm glad I'm sort of doing something else with my life for the time being. Um, but I think what I was thinking is, as I'm sitting here thinking about, oh, maybe playing songs on the podcast, like singing and playing guitar feels like the furthest thing from my from my mind right now. I have no compulsion to do it whatsoever. It's crazy to me that all I want to creatively, I'm, I feel completely satiated right now by doing the podcast and practicing drums. And I'm not even fucking practicing drums. I'm playing on a goddamn practice pad. But do you know what I mean? Like last year, I released over an album's worth of, of original music. If you want to hear it, you can stream the, the playlist Gentleman Caller on my music profile. Just look up M, the heir apparent, and stream the playlist Gentleman Caller. You can hear all my original music from 2019, but I released 12 tracks. That's over an album's worth of original music. You know, it's crazy to think that just a couple months ago, I was fucking cranking out content musically. And now I have no interest in picking up the guitar. You know, it's funny how that works. It's scary. It's scary to think that life can change so drastically so quickly. And it's like, you almost feel like nothing ever happened. But right now I fucking love doing the podcast you know, I mean, when I'm always in the middle of an episode, I think it's like garbage. <laughs> like I'm literally talking now thinking, how could anybody give a fuck about this? But sometimes I go back and I go, Hey, you know, it's, it's not half bad, you know? And I read your guys's review and I think, Oh man, there's, you know, is it the best thing in the world? I don't fucking know, but there's an audience for this. Somebody likes it. 
you know? So, yeah, I feel, I don't know. I feel lucky overall. And I'm not pretending that it's, you know, some people have it really fucking hard, obviously, but I feel pretty, I feel uh, pretty blessed, you know, for lack of a better word right now. You know, I'm able to stay safe. I have a, you know, I'm able to shelter somewhere, you know, pretty comfortable. I have a job that looks pretty consistent for the time being. You know, I have a partner who I get to see, even though, (laughs) I mean, you know, life has sort of stopped, you know, normal, things don't feel fucking normal right now, but I'm lucky that even if it's just being cooped up and watching Netflix with someone, then it's with the person that I, I do get to do it with. And, uh, you know, school's a little uncertain, but we'll fucking see. I'm sure things will, uh, you know, if not normalcy, things will, things will be picking up again soon. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There was a part of me that was even thinking about starting the video podcast now. Like, maybe now that everyone's just sort of fucking quarantined, maybe this would be the perfect fucking time to do it. Right? I mean, I, I think someone was saying, like, even Netflix or somebody's having to, like, throttle content. There's literally people, people are streaming so much content right now. It's fucking crazy. You know, and I'm sure YouTube is the same way. So maybe, maybe now would be the perfect time to start the video fucking podcast. Would you guys be up for that? How do you listen? Maybe that's worth thinking about. Well, first of all, I told you guys I started a whole new YouTube channel for the podcast. Ouch. Wow. <laughs> I was saying I was uploading this content to my music channel and I thought people weren't enjoying it because it was like, you know, a video would have like 60 views or 40 views and I'm like, damn, people don't like this. Well, try starting a whole new channel and getting no views. Do you know what I'm saying? So, dude, do us a favor. Jesus Christ. Find the new YouTube channel. Just look up This Is M Podcast in YouTube. Damn, we got so many videos just sitting at zero views. Ouch. Hurts, man. But like I said, just give it some time, man. Who knows where we'll be in three years. But maybe now would be a good time to start the video podcast. I think part of it is, and again, I think, why the fuck do you guys care about this? But, you know, you're supposed to use a platform for what it is. And at the end of the day, YouTube is a video po- video platform, you know? And yeah, I may upload the audio of the videos with an image or whatever, but that's not going to hold, hold people's attention. You know what I'm saying? Maybe a video podcast is just the thing. I think I told myself I'd re- revisit that for maybe like episode 50. Um, I don't know why I've decided, I don't know, you need like arbitrary numbers. I, I don't know why. I feel like I have to hit these benchmarks before I consider doing something different. But I'm going to continue thinking about it and you guys can let me know. If you'd be eager to see the video podcast and see this beautiful fucking face of mine, you let me know. Uh, otherwise, we'll just sort of keep marching forward as usual. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying home, most importantly. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what else to say. I guess we'll end it there. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already, please do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts, but probably one of those two. Um, also, take a moment to rate and review the show. Give it a five star review, and if you can, just type a just take two seconds to type a couple words about what what you like about it. You know what I'm saying? And if you know one person in your life you think would like it, send them your favorite episode. Encourage them to check it out. Uh, you can connect with our socials on Instagram and Twitter at This Is M Pod, and uh, you can stream my original music on Spotify. Just look up M the Air Apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent, and stream Gentleman Caller, the most recent playlist of all my original music from 2019. Um, Yeah, otherwise, take care of yourselves. 
I appreciate your support. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for your time. And ciao for now.